0: Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible study podcast for women. I'm your host, Amy Spreeman. Check out all the Bible studies at naomi'stable.com. Now, here's teacher Beth Seifert with today's lesson in 2 Corinthians. So pull up a chair, open your Bibles, and let's begin. Welcome back to our study in the book of 2 Corinthians, ladies. Today is our last lesson in this book, lesson 21, and we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 14. I've titled this lesson Day 21, Passing the Test. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. Every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warned those who sinned before, and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again I will not spare them, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. For he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but in dealing with you we will live with him by the power of God. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we've come to the final lesson of this letter and we see Paul is summing up this letter as he closes it. Paul will be coming to Corinth and when he does, he will deal with what is going on. He reminds them that he isn't going to entertain any accusations that are just one person's word against another. There have to be witnesses in order to even address things. They need to not just be making accusations, but they need to actually be concerned for justice and for truth being put forth. This is how things will be dealt with appropriately, but if they aren't concerned for truth and justice, then they need to sit down and be quiet. And Paul will act. He's not unaware of what is going on in this church, and he has warned those who are in error, and if they continue in their sin unrepentantly, Paul will deal with that when he's there. If Paul does have to deal with that when he's there, they will know without a doubt, that Christ is speaking through Paul, as they will feel that rebuke not just from the man Paul, but from Christ, from the Holy Spirit who dwells in them, convicting them of their sin. Christ will not be weak in dealing with these people. He will deal with the sin of his people so that they may be holy and blameless before him. Christ's weakness in his crucifixion wasn't a failing of character or ability. No, we need to keep in mind the character of Christ as we read this. The best place I can think of to go to is to Philippians 2, 5-10, through 10, where we see Paul give, again giving us this song about Christ, who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being found in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to death on a cross, a cursed sinner's death. That was part of the humiliation that our Savior suffered. The weakness that Paul is talking about here is not a character failing, but is Christ entering into our sinful state without sinning and taking our place on the cross. And Christ lives in the power of God, as the check written on our behalf was marked paid in full when Christ was raised from the dead. In a similar way, Paul and his fellow ministers set aside their rights for the sake of those who had not heard the gospel, to share the gospel and spread his word. Just as Christ humbled himself by even taking the form of a man, a servant even, while he was still God in the flesh, Paul's outward appearance doesn't reflect the power of Christ that lives in him, but Christ's power is, nevertheless, evident in the life Paul lives, the gospel Paul teaches, and the authority and power given to him in his ministry. Their rebellion against Christ's chosen apostle is truly rebellion against Christ himself. By doubting Paul's ministry, they are nullifying their own faith. After all, if Paul, their spiritual father, is a fake, then so is their faith. Yet the genuineness of their own salvation is evidence of the genuineness of Paul's ministry. One more time, these people are the evidence of the proof of Paul's apostleship and authority. Their changed lives really should be enough for them to get that and repent of this nonsense With the false teachers yet paul continues to remind them of these things here as a warning that paul will deal with them by the same power of god that turned their stone hearts into hearts of flesh when he comes to them and paul is giving a warning here this is really the only time we really get a hint that paul is concerned for their actual salvation all throughout both first and second corinthians the ones that we have paul addresses them as those who are truly saved as those who have the Holy Spirit within them, even though the serious issues they had were painful sin issues. He continually calls them back to the gospel they held fast to, to their regeneration, to the hope they have only in Christ, and here, at the very end of this letter, we see this caution. This isn't something that Paul belabors, but the warning is still real and it needs to be taken seriously. They need to test themselves, to examine themselves to see whether they are in the faith, to see whether they really do have the Spirit of Christ living in them, unless they fail to pass the test. Honestly, this is a sober warning for each of us, too. Here's the thing. If we examine ourselves and find reasons to be concerned for our salvation, wouldn't you want to know that now while there's still time to repent? I mean, come on, this isn't a warning to get angry at, but to meditate on, and really to take seriously asking God to help us see both our sin and the fruit in our lives if there really is fruit. We need to not be afraid to do this, and we shouldn't be offended when someone else suggests we do this. If our instant reaction when someone comes to us lovingly and gently to suggest that we might need to examine ourselves is anger and defensiveness, that should be a warning to our own hearts. If someone cares enough about you to lovingly warn you, and I do mean lovingly, There are always those who will claim they are warning when all they are doing is practicing hypocritical, cruel judgment. But if they really are lovingly warning you to examine yourself, be thankful that they care enough to do the hard thing. And even if you think they are completely wrong-headed to even suggest you need to examine yourself, take the suggestion seriously and bring it to God. If their concern is baseless, that will be revealed. But if there is something that you should take seriously... Don't you want to know that so you can be brought back into right relationship with God? And as Paul shares this warning, he doesn't do it with malice. Look at what he says. He hopes that they will not fail the test, but that they will pass, that they will find themselves approved by God. Paul doesn't want them to be found wanting. And that's not about Paul's reputation. That's about their salvation. Paul wants them to be soundly and truly saved. The authority that Paul has been given as a minister of the gospel is for their benefit. He doesn't want harm for them. Still, he doesn't want them to cheat on the test either, but to take it seriously, to examine themselves and know for sure that they are safe with Christ. He wants them restored, reconciled, and truly submitting to Christ in everything. His goal in writing to them is not to be malicious, but to help them and to glorify God and to accomplish that before he arrives to visit them. If this letter is able to bring the restoration, then when Paul arrives, it won't be a painful visit, but a visit of healing and restoration, as the repentance that needs to take place will have already taken place. And that's Paul's prayerful hope. His final greetings sum this all up. Be joyful. Don't be bitter. Seek for restoration with each other and with God, and comfort each other. Agree with each other and don't be divisive over ridiculous things, but live in peace with each other. In this way, the God of love and peace will be with them in their unity and their love for each other. Paul ends by pointing to the work of the entire Trinity in the lives of these believers. May the grace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship that comes only from the Holy Spirit be with them and unite them all together. And that's it. Paul has now rebuked, encouraged, and exhorted these believers. He's defended himself and the gospel he brings. And he does all of this because of his love for these people and his desire for them to be reconciled to God and to live lives that glorify Christ. He calls them to unity at the end, to unity in the true gospel, the true spirit, the true love that comes only from God, and the grace, the unearned favor that comes from our Savior. Throughout this whole letter, we can see Paul's focus is always on what is best for these believers, and that is simply Christ. He ends the letter calling them to live faithful lives, to examine themselves to be sure they are truly God's, and to build each other up in the faith with love. Truly, this is what the body of Christ should look like. Loving but firm and sometimes painful rebukes, encouragement and exhortation, All for the glory of God and the edification of the saints. Even when it's hard, even when it is conflict that must be addressed, this is how that should look within the body. We should be willing to address sin in this way so that we point each other to Christ for the reconciliation of the saints and the glory of God. This letter should, at the minimum, teach us how important it is to hold fast to the true gospel and the implications of the true gospel. It should encourage us to not back away from conflict, but to address it, and to do so by pointing each other to scripture and to Christ. It should encourage us to love each other enough, to love Christ enough, to be concerned for the health of his bride, and be willing to warn, even with tears. So today, ladies, how are you doing on this? Are you more concerned with the health of Christ's body, with the individual lives of his people? Than you are with your own reputation or comfort? Are you concerned with unity for the right reasons? With division from false teachers, and loving warnings given to reconcile brothers and sisters in Christ to each other and to their Savior? Are you willing to stand up even when it is hard and worn with tears? May we be more concerned about the body of Christ than our own conflict-free lives? May we be willing to shout the true gospel, and share the hope that we have while we refute false teaching that only leads to despair. May we come alongside each other and truly desire the best for each other in all we do as the body of Christ. Ladies, you'll find the notes for this study under the Bible Studies tab of the website naomistable.com, Day 21, Passing the Test.